0: I have, have actually worshipped here in the past. I think the anointed seats were down there at that point. <laughs> uh, when we felt one Sunday a few years back, it was time for us to go to another church to visit because uh, our family were not with us. Was, I think it was soon after Christmas, and we just loved being with you in worship before the Lord, just as we have done today. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, when God brings people of all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations together, and there's a little foretaste of heaven here, friends, that we've had this morning as we've joined in the worship together across the nations for the only one who brings unity into a broken and divided world. His name is Jesus and it's in his name we meet. Uh, I take you back to a time long ago, you'll find it hard to imagine this for a moment, when I was in my mid thirties and I didn't have gray hair. And uh, there were four couples, five couples, sitting around a table, a picnic table, uh, having a lunch break in the middle of a conference that John Wimber was teaching in Can- Anaheim in California. Uh, John and Eleanor Mumford were at that stage already there training to be vineyard pastors rather than uh, an Anglican minister. Uh, Chris and Fliss Lane were there. There were two other couples there. All of who those other three couples were assistant pastors in the Anglican church at that stage, and Anne and I were there. And over the course of the next year, the Lord called all of those other three couples into being vineyard pastors and they planted churches, which then planted churches and released God's people for the works of mission mission and ministry around the country. And Anne and I were left. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to the Lord, Lord, can't I do that as well? I'd love to do that. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. (laughs) And um, then one day I felt the Lord spoke to me out of Isaiah and he said that I was to stay effectively And he spoke from Isaiah 58, your people, in other words, the ones I will serve and lead, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And so I felt then the Lord was giving me permission to, uh, sorry, saying that I must stay And then he opened all sorts of doors for ministry, not just in St. Barnabas, but beyond St. Barnabas through friendship with David Pitches and uh, everything that came out of St. Andrew's Chorleywood in what is the New Wine Movement, which is more than just uh, those who are in historic denominations, but it's principally people in historic denominations. But it's always an absolute delight and a joy to mix with my vineyard friends. Um, You know, probably you know, in the Anglican Church, there are some that are very sort of high ritual, and they're called Anglo-Catholics because they're a bit like Catholic churches, you know? Well, we used to call ourselves Anglo-Vineyard Church (laughs) because we wanted everyone to know who we really associated with and where we were on that spectrum. That's why it's such a joy to be here now. Now, this is in the series of Dangerous Faith that I'm speaking today, and I haven't listened to all your sermons in that faith, but I did listen to Mark as he kicked it off. But watch, I should say, online. I'm really talking about one of the things that he mentioned within that first talk, which I think is foundational to becoming dangerous people for the Lord, those that really do serious damage to the kingdom of the enemy and seriously uh, advance the kingdom of the living God. Think for a moment of why you've become a follower of Jesus. I'm assuming that you have for a moment, and if you haven't, today could be your day. But if you are a follower of Jesus, what is it that made you a follower of Jesus? Now, I don't mean the event. I don't mean whether it was a book or you went to a church or an alpha course or something like that. But what actually was it that made you change your mind about Jesus? When the first person that changed his mind about Jesus such that he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, when it happened to him what did jesus reply to him jesus replied flesh and blood haven't uh, this is not because of sorry flesh and blood have not revealed this to you but my father in heaven this is where we can start slides but my father in heaven has revealed it to you the reason that any of us here all of us here who are followers of jesus are followers of jesus is because god in heaven revealed it to us someone hey beyond ourselves basically took the initiative and showed us what Jesus, who Jesus really is. That's why we're always saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for opening my eyes to Jesus. Now, John Wimber once said, bingo, I hit it, nail him one. First, second slide, he said, the way in is the way on. What that means is <clears throat> that revelation from God is what we live by if we're to live truly as Jesus lived. We need constantly to be experiencing the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see God more clearly or to see Jesus more clearly and love him more dearly and follow him more nearly. And that's exactly what Paul the Apostle prays in Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking, this isn't a prayer for a parking place or anything like that. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. Anyone here want to know God better? That's why you're here, isn't it? The only way we can do that is by virtue of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Oh, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us afresh, we pray, that we might see you more clearly than we've ever seen or known you before. Regularly in the Psalms, the psalmist who already knows God expresses his desire to know God better. And it comes over very often in I'm hungry for you language, much like the song that we sang a few moments ago in worship. Here is one example from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. We're not just seeking the power of God for our world today. We're seeking the presence of God so that we carry God into the world every day of our lives. Not just the power of God at work. Yes, we want to see that. But actually, we want to carry the presence of God wherever we go. So this continuous re-expression of our desire is something that's really highly significant. And that's why a long time before dawn, Jesus got up and went to find a quiet place to be alone with his father, seeking the presence of the Lord again for the start of each new day. Now, I know that there are days like I have that. There may be weeks, there may be months, there may be seasons. And then at my age, you know, I've gone through many seasons in life. I find myself perhaps not expressing my hunger and my desire as I once did. Of course, that's why in the letters to the church in Revelation, written by the same spirit of God, it said, there's a, I want you to call you back to your first love because in the first love, there's that hunger and longing to meet with him, to see him face to face. A great uh, writer, uh, Tozer, wrote this, and we've got this up on the slide so you can follow. Oh God, I've tasted your goodness. It has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, I want to want thee. Do you feel like that? I want to want thee, Lord. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still because when we're thirsty, we come to the, living water and we've the source of living water and we drink. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, the door will be opened, says the Lord. <clears throat> so it's been a, a year of drought this year. And I don't think that's just something that uh, we've seen in the physical world. I think we've seen it in a spiritual world over the last few year, we, years. A normally um, spiritually unhungry society that we now live in uh, became even more, as it were, unhungry in some ways through the pandemic, although I know lots of people tuned into watching church online. Actually, the people of God somehow lost their hunger, and most churches have found it difficult to regather all those people who had previously been members of their churches because something just has gone. On the other hand, there are some that have just exploded with praise again as they've God has drawn people back together because there's something happens when we're together that doesn't seem to happen when we're on our own. And I was shown, this sent this little video. Unfortunately, it doesn't come across the video, so you're going to need to let me explain it to you. But if you had three cups of water that you turned upside down on different types of land, you would see the water being drained from the cup into the land at different rates. If the ground is already wet, actually what happens is that the water from inside the glass drains in very quickly. If it's sort of moderately dry, it drains in more slowly, and the drier it has been in a drought area, the harder the land is, and actually it takes a long, long time to be absorbed by the ground underneath the cup. And I think there are seasons in life where we're like that, aren't they? We, we lose it a little bit, and it actually takes quite a long time to get back to where we were before because actually we've lost our thirst and we've become hardened to the things of the ministry of the Spirit, etc. The upside-down kingdom in which we live, of which this is a, prince, a, a practice of the principle, is one which Jesus says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance In other words, if we're thirsty and we stay on being thirsty, we will be filled, filled, filled. But if we lose our thirst, actually, it's more difficult to regain it. Friends, don't let the enemy rob us of our thirst for the presence of the Lord himself. I've changed the words of the psalm that we read just a moment ago and I've put them in the plural and I've put them in the plural rather than the singular because I believe that what God is longing for is not just individuals who have red hot or white hot faith. I believe that God is looking for communities of white hot faith. In our individualized Western society, we so often talk about I and what I want, to, how I want to meet the Lord I believe the Lord delights when people together say, we want you, Lord. And great movements of the Spirit normally spill out from a group of people who together have had an encounter with God. So although we might know the names of the leaders of historic revivals, actually, it's when those leaders have gathered a group of people together and together they've sought the presence of God that something really life-transforming has happened. So I don't just want to pray this prayer, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. I want us to say it together. Can we do that? You God are our God. Earnestly we seek you, we thirst for you, our whole being longs for you. I want to introduce you to Sammy. Sammy is a little statue in our garden. Now, you have to be seriously old when you start putting statues in our garden. <laughs> in a, so we did uh, this year from an architectural salvage uh, place. Uh, we managed to find this as a birthday present to each other. Uh, it, it, she wasn't sold to us with the name Sammy around her neck, like Paddington Bear or anything like that. But she reminded us of what the woman of Samaria might have looked like when Jesus spoke to her. Will you draw water for me from the well? And she would have been somewhat surprised because she was a woman and he was a Jewish rabbi. She was Samaritan and he was kosher and they didn't talk to each other. And so we thought we'd name her Sammy as she finds it difficult to raise her eyes to the eyes of Jesus partly because of an ethnic difference and probably also because of the shame that she was carrying that she thought he wouldn't know about, but actually by a word of knowledge, he did know about that she'd already been married many times. And he reverses the conversation saying, it's not uh, you that's going to draw water for me, but if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So when we look out on our garden or we walk down it now, every day we see a reminder to be thirsty for the living water that he and he alone can give us because living water is living. It's never stagnant, it's always fresh. it always satisfied as nothing else can and there's only one who gives this living water and if only we knew, friends, who he is. And the gift that he gives, we would say, I thirst for you. Why don't we do it again? You, God, are our God. Earnestly we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole being longs for you. Why is this so important? It's important for ourselves that we live life in all its fullness. It's important for us if we're to become dangerous advancing the kingdom of God in a culture where it seems like the enemy has more and more power. And I say that because of the stats, which you're no doubt very familiar if we have the next slide. There's only two lines on this that are really important line here today, the blue line and the red line. The blue line is the uh, percentage of our population in the UK who say they now have no religious faith. The, so yeah, and the red line Sorry, the red line is those who have, say they have no religious faith. The blue line is those who say they have Christian faith. So, those that have Christian faith in the country in the last 23 years, 33 years, it is, isn't it, have gone down from 40% down to about 15%. We live in a spiritual desert, friends. It's a spiritual desert. What can bring life to the spiritual desert? The only thing that brings life in the desert. Is water. As we thirst for him, are filled with and encounter him, there is an answer to the thirst of our nation, even though it doesn't realize how thirsty it is. And of course, the consequence of not drinking is that you die. We live amongst people who are dying, not just physically because we're all on that route, but spiritually and eternally. And the only antidote to that pandemic is living water in Jesus. Let's say it again. You, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole being longs for you. This summer at um, our New Wine Summer Conference, (coughs) John Tyson, an American, was speaking, and one of the days he spoke about revival and what he thought was common to all the different types of revivals, some of which have different theological bases and emphasis with which God has revived spiritually barren places nations previously. You know, whether it be from the Hebridean revival or, you know, to the Azusa Street revival or the revivals happening in other parts of the world even now, like, oh, you know, Korea a few years back, or even amongst the Iranians now. For there is a revival happening amongst Iranians. And he said, from his perspective, this is the most significant thing. God comes where he's welcomed. God comes wherever his people Hunger and thirst for him. Back to Toza. I want the presence of God Himself, or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has, or I don't want anything. Friends, let's not become satisfied with being religious. Being religious is not what the world needs, and it's not what Jesus died to bring. He died for a living church filled with living water and the world needs living water. Uh, Just jump a slide for a moment. In the year that Queen Elizabeth died, what will you remember? How will you remember this year? Well, we cannot but remember a state funeral, (laughs) whether you were there literally or not. And, uh, you know, watching it on television, it was an extraordinary thing, wasn't it? I was reminded by Pete Gregg, uh, who said something on his Instagram account on that day. There's a phrase in the Bible which sort of this resonates with, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I don't know whether, Mark, you've spoken about this here or not, but, you know, this was a time of relatively long tenure as a king. He'd been there 40 years. It was a time of relative peace and relative prosperity for the nation, and in the year that King Isaiah died, probably there was a great angst, what is going to happen next? He, uh, Isaiah, probably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Pointing forward to the even greater prophet, Jesus, he's the one that says in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, which passage Jesus himself quotes at the beginning of his ministry. In other words, Isaiah, by virtue of what he sees, is able to say something about the future. And we'll come back to that in a few moments about the desert in a dry land. But he first points to Jesus. Why is he able to point to Jesus? Because in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, is what he says in Isaiah 6. Spirit of the living God, spirit of wisdom and revelation, open our eyes, we pray, that we may see you more clearly. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. In other words, he saw something of the glory, the majesty, the beauty, the power of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Holy, holy, holy. He saw the angels. He saw what is normally unseen to us, but the equally created by the living God spiritual world. He saw something of that world as well as this world. He saw something of the interconnection. He found himself probably caught up with the same worship. Holy, holy, holy. Holy Lord. And even as he's caught up in the presence of God, he's suddenly even more acutely aware of his own spiritual barrenness and that of his nation. And so he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I desperately need you, God. We desperately need you, God. The more you see of God, the more you realize this world is alienated from God, and the more you realize you need Him. But at the same time, you feel almost sort of unworthy of any attention at all. He says, I am ruined for my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. And he finds himself crying before God. And then an angel brings a coal from the fire and touches his lips and says, your guilt is taken away. In other words, all that you are at the moment that you feel disqualifies you from being one of my dynamic, dangerous people that are going to change the nation, all of that stuff's taken away and you can become all that I intended you to be now that you've seen who I really am, now that you've seen the reality of the spiritual world, now that you've seen the ruin of the nation, now you can have everything in the past taken away and you can become one of the dynamic, dangerous people of the living God. And so he says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, that is what we long for, that we will so see you that we become equipped by you to be people of dynamic and dangerous faith in a dying world. So the seeking place became a meeting place. The meeting place became a weeping place. And the weeping place became an anointing place. That's what God intends for us in the year that Queen Elizabeth died. That we become anointed with his presence. That we become anointed with his glory. That we become anointed with his power. And we become the dangerous people that he wants us to be. Why don't we say it again? You, God... Are our God. Honestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole being longs for you. So, you realize I, I've, I'm speaking today from stuff that the Lord has been speaking to me about over the last few months and. Within that, um, <clears throat> we went to Anne and I, to Belfast, to work with a friend of ours, David uh, Maclay, who's the Bishop of Dandramore. It's the most populous um, diocese in the uh, Church of Ireland. And um, he was one of those who, back in the mid-90s that Mark was referencing, uh, we got to know when we did a, a, a leader's retreat over in Northern Ireland and David Pitchers invited the Holy Spirit to come and he was flat on the deck under the power of the Spirit and years later having run for a while new wine in Ireland he's now the bishop there and um, so I, I did a little work thinking about the Belfast prayer revival this is what one pastor said about it this is back in the 1850s our condition was deplorable we were dead, cold, prayerless, worldly. Two times I tried a prayer meeting with elders, but failed. The people did not, not only want to pray, but they were almost hostile towards prayer meetings. So I think you'd say it was spiritually barren. <laughs> a young man within 18 months of giving his life to Christ started a prayer meeting. And um, first of all, there were about four people present. If you show the stats up next, please, um, There were about four people present. By the end of 1858, that was only uh, sort of 15 months later, 50 people were now coming to the prayer meeting daily. And by the end of 1959, 100 different groups were meeting in that particular area of Northern Ireland. And within the next year of 1859, 100,000 people were converted. That represented 10% of the population of Ireland at the time. Friends, if you're feeling young, <laughs> you don't have to be old and mature or old and just grey-haired like me, you know. <laughs> you, you just start seeking the Lord. And who knows what will change, even in St Albans and this nation. And after that prayer revival, this is what another pastor wrote it were worth living 10,000 ages in obscurity and reproach to be permitted to engage in the glorious work of the last six months of 1859. Lord, give us a six months like that, I pray. (laughs) Let's say it again. You, God, are our God. Earnestly we seek you. We thirst for you, our whole being longs for you. So Anne and I went went to Namibia a few weeks ago. I've had a Namibian brother-in-law for the last 40 years. Um, He was actually one of those who was very foundational in the formation of the new Namibia subsequent to its liberation from South Africa. It was a sad occasion because my sister had died. She died on, uh, on the plane flying back to Namibia from having been on holiday and having stayed with us for the last weekend. Um, She she was based in our house all the time, and for some of the time we were away at New Wine, but we were with her for the last weekend, and um, she never woke up having um, gone to sleep. She'd not been well, but it was a shock because the doctors had said she was well enough to fly here, she was much better when she left here than when she flew here um, three weeks earlier. So it was a huge shock. It must have been an awful experience for Peter. Namibia is the driest place in the country that I've ever been, probably equal to Israel. Um, on the last day, we had the joy of um, having been part of memorial and funeral services and moments for, for five days. Um, we, we, on the Monday before we flew back, on the t- Tuesday, we just spent the day relaxing, had the joy of visiting a game park, giraffes and all that, if you can see that there. I'm gonna show a video to show what can happen when water flows in a barren land. You'll see from this picture, it looks completely barren. What the giraffes have to eat, I don't know, apart from twigs off the trees, there don't seem to be any leaves on them at all. (laughs) But when when the rains come and the river flows, everything is transformed. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Isaiah 35. The same man that's seen the Lord sees in a sense in his spirit what is possible if this God works according to the way he has seen his glory and his power. And he speaks of the desert and the parched land being glad. I will read some of these verses as we watch this little video now. But as you watch it, keep thinking, Lord, I thirst for you. We thirst for you. This nation thirsts for you. (laughs) So let's watch this video. desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackal once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the Highway of Holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. And They will enter Zion with singing and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Come, O Lord, pour out your living water upon us, we pray. Through us, we pray. On this nation and the nations, we pray. Let your living water flow. And wherever the river flows, everything will live.